So Flip, you ready to play a little Nostradamus? Uh, is that the guy who had was the like predicted things like uh, like the Middle Ages? Oh, you nailed that it. You nailed you went it. To Notre, you went to Notre Dame, right? <laughs> you went to school, they blinking. Yeah, it's our predictions episode. Oh, I'm so excited. This is gonna be this is gonna be wonderful, and we have a very special guest with us, don't we? We do. We have our very own David Cohn. David, how are you? Doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Tony, thanks for being on. We appreciate it very much. So this is our preview show. So we're going to preview the season. And we might as well start with, um, let's start with our own New York Yankees. How do you see the Yankees playing this year? Uh, what, how do you see them doing? I see them as the cream of the crop in the American League. Uh, they certainly are going to have some competition, you know, along the way. And, and even in the American League East, I think the Blue Jays, obviously, uh, are much improved and a good young uh, nucleus. And the, and the Rays are the Rays. Tampa Bay always finds a way, and they have a great farm system. But I see uh, the Yankees as the class of the East and the class of the American League, for that matter. And, you know, a lot of it hinges on their pitching and their starting rotation. But I think they have enough depth flip to, to be able to weather some storms. Uh, they've got a lot of arms they can go to on, on down through their pipeline. So, I, you know, it looks like they're, they're well-positioned from a depth standpoint right now. When you say well positioned, I mean we, we can go sort of go through this in terms of especially with the starting pitching because as we know really the you, you really can't win a championship unless you have really elite starting pitching, and it always obviously it starts at the top and the first two slots have to be have to you know give you the consistency and the wins and 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 the presence, and certainly the Yankees in terms of Cole certainly have that, and behind him you know if you're looking at you know is a Kluber. You know, possibly depending on how he rebounds from, from his surgeries and his issues time away from the game and how Herman, if Herman comes back, how he pitches, Severino comes back hopefully in July. So the Yankees, you know, Montgomery, Yankees have a lot of starting pitching. Garcia right, has pitched really well as well. So the Yankees have spots there. You're right. And again, it's going to be how well they, they perform. And the question marks need to become exclamation points. Yes, that's well put, Flip. Uh, you know, the – you, you, you put a lot of stock on a couple of pitchers that, that are coming off of injuries. And, and Jamison Tyone certainly is second. Uh, Tommy John surgery. Uh, Corey Kluber, multiple Cy Young Award winner, is, is coming off of, a, you know, a, a significant injury that, that it looks like he's fully healed from. Uh, the track record on those type of injuries, I think, is pretty good for pitchers. It's a Terry's major injury which is below his lap muscle, and it's not part of the rotator cuff muscles. So I see that as a plus. You know, those type of injuries historically for pitchers have taken longer to heal, but once they heal, that those pitchers come back full strength because they still retain the range of motion in their shoulder because the injury wasn't really, you know, in the shoulder muscles or the rotator cuff muscles, as they say. So I'm very bullish on Kluber and what I've seen this year uh, so far in spring training. Jamison Tyone uh, as well. So far, so good. But the, it's, it's down the road that I really like. You know, Davey Garcia's, knowing that Luis Severino's coming back, uh, knowing that Jordan Montgomery's a, a, another year removed from Tommy John surgery, uh, knowing that Domingo Herman is back and has looked very good this spring. And then we've got some other guys, some wild cards, like a Nick Nelson, who could be a starter. Uh, if needed, it's going to be interesting to see what the Yankees do with it with, with uh, an arm like that upper nineties fastball and three pitches. So, you know, I, I see a lot of bodies. I see a lot of depth, but it's still going to hinge, you know, uh, on Corey Kluber sliding in right behind Gary Cole. Cause that gives them two aces at the top and everything else will fall on the line. If you've got a couple of aces, two, two different guys that have been aces before and that will be aces can lead that staff. 
that's, that's well, of, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, please. Flip. Yeah, real quick. Speaking of Tyone and Kluber, one of the things you always hear is, well, these guys have only pitched one inning in the past year, say. But overall, with pitching, now we're looking at a whole league of people who've only pitched, say, 50 innings in the last year or so. How is that going to impact these pitchers moving forward into 2021? Yeah, that is that is the golden question for everybody right now. You know, it seems like every organization and uh, from top to bottom through their pitching coordinators and pitching coaches are trying to figure out a schedule that works. And, you know, we're really flying by the seat of our pants here. Uh, you know, everybody's different, not one size fits all. But the one thing to me that's a common denominator that we do know from medical data from guys like Dr. James Andrews down in Birmingham and several people that are top of the line, top shelf doctors uh, talk about the one thing they know is that fatigue, when arms get fatigued or tired, that's when they're susceptible to injury. So in order to combat that, in my mind, speaking from experience, it's extra rest in between starts. That's how you protect your pitchers from getting fatigued in the first place. And you look for signs of pitchers wearing down or getting tired or laboring it's never been more important than this year for, for organizations and pitching coaches to be on top of that. And it's never been more important to skip a start or to have a six man rotation when needed or have extra arms and be able to pay attention to scheduling and giving guys extra rest, even your horses, even somebody like a Garrett Cole. You know, I, I think he would probably fight against that. He would say, I'm fine. I want the ball every five days and, and probably he will get it every five days, but I would even push him and save him from himself and say, you know what, we're, we're, we're going to skip a start or we're going to give you a few extra days rest here and there and, and plug in a spot starter and, and do it that way. I think that's what you're going to see around the league. That's what I would recommend doing if I were a pitching coach. You know, it's, it's the safest way to go to protect your pitching. I have, I have two questions I want to ask you before we get to sort of the rest of the league. Uh, first question is we met Mitch Cole. Now, there's not going to be a personal catcher this year, right? Right. That's my understanding. Yes. So, so how does that throwing to Sanchez? Okay. Who I know he I mean, he's come along defensively. He's gotten better, but the pitcher Cole has to have complete confidence in his catcher as any pitcher does. And do you believe that the confidence will be there? I think that Garrett Cole is fully committed to making that work. You've seen him take those steps. Uh, you've seen him really try to communicate with Gary Sanchez and say all the right things and do all the, do all the right things so far. Uh, you know, pitchers love catchers like Gary Sanchez when they hit that three-run home run on the day you're starting. You know, you, you tend to gloss it over when you do get the offense from Sanchez. So right. his offense can gloss over some of those other issues, so to speak. But, you know, I, it, it, it comes to a point, Flip, to where at some point, you know, if Garrett Cole is struggling, they're going to go to, to Higashioka. They're going to try something because he's that important. So Garrett Cole will dictate his future. If he's pitching well and it's Sanchez and, and, and he should be fine with his stuff and Sanchez is producing offensively, there should not be a problem. But the first, first uh, tick of a problem and Cole starts to struggle, then you're going to see Aaron Boone go to, go to Kyle Higashioka because it worked so well last year and they know each other and they have a history together personally going back to, to almost little league, I think uh, from, from right. what we know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you start, you look at a starting outfield and you look at, you look at Stanton, maybe in left, or it could be Frazier depending. Right. And maybe St Stanton DHs. I mean, that they'll move that around. I'm sure uh, Hicks in center and judge in right. Now on paper, 
That's tremendous. And if everybody stays healthy, we always talk about stay on the field. You got to stay on the field. They really do have to stay on the field, don't they? They do. And uh, I think you just uh, you almost salivate at the thought of, of them staying healthy. That lineup, run that lineup out there 140 times this year in 162-game schedule. Let's see all of those big horses get five to 600 at-bats collectively and see what kind of numbers they put up. Because if that does indeed be the case, that they all stay healthy together, well, you've got an offense that should be at or near the top in the major league and run scored. They, they should be a force. Uh, they can compete with anybody in the game uh, offensively. And on the other side of the ball, defensively, that's another story. You know, you, you, how good defensively they, they will be kind of depends on Gary Sanchez behind the plate and Glaber Torres at shortstop. So, you know, it's two different, two different stories. Offensively, they're great. They stay healthy. Defensively, they still have something to prove. We'll talk more about the Yankees, but let's whip around the league a little bit, if you guys don't mind. Um, and I want to start with the NL East, because that really is probably one of the most competitive leagues, divisions in the league, I think. Uh, starting with you, David, who do you like in the NL East? And have the Mets, Mets have made a ton of noise. Have they done enough this offseason? I'm looking at the Pakoda standings. They think the Mets have done enough. What do you think? Well, they've certainly done enough to, to get everybody's interest. And they also have the, the wherewithal and, and the resources to continue to make moves, to continue to make trades, to continue to add to their roster up through the trade deadline. Uh, it, there's a new sheriff in town, as they say. Uh, you know, the, the ownership change is huge for the, for the Mets fan base. Uh, this changes everything. Uh, they are committed to pour, pouring in the resources into the Mets that are comparable, comparable to what the Yankees do the type of resources the Yankees have and the type of resources they pour into their franchise is, is, is now going to be challenged at least to a certain extent, you know, by, by the new ownership of the Mets. And to me, that does change everything moving forward. Have they done enough yet? I'm not sure. I'm not sure they have. Francisco Lindor is a great young player. They need to sign him long-term because that would send a big message to a lot of people, including the fans. So we'll see if they can get that done before spring training is out. They're currently talking about a long-term deal. So if that happens, that sends a huge signal to everyone. So we'll, we'll stay tuned to that. But I still see the Braves as the, as the class. The Atlanta Braves are the class of the National League East to me. Uh, great young talent, great young pitching. Uh, they have a farm system that just continues to pump out pitching since the Greg Maddox days or since the Tom Glavin and John Smoltz days back in the 90s. They've always had that. They've always had great minor league pitching coaches. They've always pumped them out. They've always developed, and they continue to do so. And to me, the Braves, with their pitching and the, that, that great young offense and great young players with the Ronald Acuna Jr., you know, uh, and Albies at second base and Freddie Freeman, a perennial MVP guy, the Braves, to me, are the best team in the National League East right now. Ironically, the Pakoda standings have them at the four, in fourth place, which is crazy to me. Uh, but more importantly, I want to talk about Bill Pakoda who was yes. your roommate. Is that right? Yes, he was. Bill Picotto is a great guy and a really a good all around athlete and ball player. He could, he could play anywhere on the field. Uh, you know, he was the classic guy, I think, cause he carved out a, a fairly long major league career as a kind of a super utility guy. He could run well, he'd do a little bit of everything, kind of a Jack of all trades. So that's, I think why Nate Silver used him as kind of a benchmark, as the, the, the prototypical uh, 
average major league ball player or the replacement player value. So when you're looking at comparing players to the next guy in line, so to speak, if, if you lose a, a Freddie Freeman, who's the next guy in line? Well, the next guy in line is a guy like Bill Bacota, you know, and that's who you compare to. And that's what war is based on, you know, that, uh, that average player, uh, you know, what, what, what is, what is the benchmark comparative analysis that you have? And that's where Bill Pakoda came in. So the Pakoda rankings are based off a real guy. And um, the times I've talked to him, yeah, I don't think he knew how to take it. You know, at first he was like, does this mean I'm not a good ball player? Is that, are they making fun of me? Or, and I said, no, it's actually the other way around that we tend to, we tend to, to, to look down on the average anything in baseball. Oh, he's just an average hitter or he's just an average pitcher. Or he has an average fastball. Well, average major league is really good. An average major league fastball is really good. An average yeah. major league baseball player is a really good baseball player. So, you know, Bill Bacota was a really good baseball player. And, you know, he's the benchmark for, for all of this analysis. And when you're doing projections, the Bacota rankings are based on how much better you're going to be than Bill Bacota. Bill Bacota is the average. He's like zero, you know, the zero mark. Anything I wouldn't mind being that. zero major league yes. average. I would sign up for that. Exactly. Flip, where are you in at least, Flip? Uh, I got to tell you something. I because of the pitching, you got we forgot the Nationals. I mean, the Nationals can still pitch. You know, Nationals got arms, and you know they're going to be in it too. So you know, you get the Mets, the the you know the Nationals, the Braves. I mean, they're all really they are really good teams. The, the three of them there. So you know, you like that. I mean, I look at that and I say, wow. Uh, anytime you've got pitching, I mean, obviously to me, it's, it always comes down to, to a lot of people comes down to pitching. So when you've got really strong pitching, particularly at the top, you've got those one or two slots, those power slots, uh, you got a real chance to win a championship. So you know, as long as that, th those teams possess that, you, you obviously got to give them a lot of consideration, but, uh, but, uh, let's move on a little bit to the, let's go to the central. Let's move on to, cause we have uh, some other things to cover here. Um, let's look at the central, uh, both. let's start with the, let's start with the American league central. I mean, the white Sox are on a force. I mean, they are, they are a team to be reckoned with. Let's start with them. David, start with the White Sox. Uh, I agree. You know, the White Sox are a team on the move. Um, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, is uh, not getting any younger, as they say, and uh, that's why he signed Tony La Russa, of all people, a guy who hasn't managed a Hall of Famer, who hasn't managed in a decade, over 10 years, was brought in to get them over the finish line, to give them a little more discipline, to to, to – bring a little winning attitude into that clubhouse. So Reinsdorf and La Russa are there for one reason right now, and they will do whatever they can to, to, to win now. They're definitely in a win mode now, uh, win now mode. So, yes, uh, they're an exciting young team to watch. The Minnesota Twins are still very good as well. You know, I'm not sure if they have enough pitching, but they do have good offense. They do score runs in that ballpark. It's kind of a, a hitter's ballpark in Minnesota now and the new ballpark there. So, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out Cleveland. The Cleveland Indians still have good players. Um, it, you know, it's still, it, they can they're pitch. not a they're pitching. They're, yes. Yeah. They, you know, they're, they're not, uh, you can't walk, you can't just look past them and walk over Cleveland at this point. They're not the favorite, but, uh, they can still make some noise there. Kansas city, the Royals are on the upswing. They feel good about their chances of making strides. They have some good young prospects, Bobby Witt jr was a number one pick, has made noise this spring. So they do have some good young players in the pipeline coming up. But this seems to be the White Sox year. It should be. They expect it to be. And, uh, you know, I would anticipate they would add more, too, in trades or before the trade deadline because Reinsdorf and La Russa, you know, want to win right now. 
Uh, they've got some really good young players, but I'll tell you a guy who's been around for now a little bit of time, and every year just – and I don't know why he goes sort of unnoticed. He didn't go unnoticed last year. Was it, is, about, is Abreu. Abreu is, is flat-out flat out talent. Yeah, it's a great point, Flip. Uh, and he's one – you know, now that you're looking at him, how many years in a row that he's put together this type of production, what he is now – to your point, is one of the best run producers of his generation. You know, it's almost been a generation now. He's, you know, and you soon just start uh, getting past five, six, seven years now as a White Sox and the years he's put together consecutively. Um, you look at his numbers, they're, they're top shelf across the board, playing first base and producing runs. Okay, we've looked at the, we looked at, let's look at the National Extension for a minute because I find that to be pretty fascinating. Uh, uh, the, the Cubs continue to slide here. I mean, the Cubs continue to slide. What can you expect out of St. Louis? I mean, you start looking at looking at that division. How do you see that division play? Yeah, I mean, the, the Cubs have repositioned themselves. You hear a lot of trade rumors. You know, Chris Bryant's been involved in a lot of rumors. Um, you know, you wonder what direction they're taking from an ownership standpoint. Uh, it, it, if you're a Cubs fan, it's a little disappointing, probably a little dismaying that you don't know the direction of the franchise at this point after having such high hopes and breaking the curse a few years ago. Uh, they're still a dangerous team at Wrigley Field. When the wind blows out with that lineup, they can, they can still light it up and, and, and score a bunch of runs. Uh, yeah, I, I think St. Louis, obviously the Cardinals uh, are the Cardinals. They have great pitching. The, it's just that franchise like the Braves. The Cardinals have great farm systems, great minor league coaches, great pitching coaches, and they produce talent. They produce pitchers. That's what they do. They've always done it. Back to Bob Gibson, you know, they've always had good pitchers um, and, and they, you know, the thing about the Cardinals are that the moves they make, they always make that big trade when they have to, you know, it was Paul Goldschmidt, you know, a couple years ago and they brought him in from Arizona. Now it's Nolan Arenado, the best first baseman. They brought in the best, uh, the best third baseman. They brought in the best first baseman a couple years ago. Now they have the best third baseman and Nolan Arenado. And you, you, you put that together with all the pitching that they develop. That's their formula. They make a big trade. They bring in a free agent, a big-time player by that way, and then they develop their pitching, and that served them well. You know, it also goes back to, you know, organizations and culture. And the Cardinals are really, obviously, one of the best organizations in the game and have been for as long as I can remember. And they're also the culture that they've built up and, and their tradition and everything else obviously weighs in their favor. They know how to get it done. They know how to win. And they've, got the, they've always had the right people at the top to facilitate that. Yes. Yeah. Excellent point. Excellent organization. You know, people talk about the Yankees and all the championships uh, they've won, you know, the 27 championships, uh, you know, who's second, the Cardinals, <laughs> the Cardinals are right. second. You know, right. They've got, they've got nine. So uh, they're almost into double digits themselves. And Jack Flaherty, a homegrown pro product is their number one starter. And he's a flamethrower and, you know, just a, a, a power pitcher that you love to be your number one starter. And he's homegrown. You talked me into it. I, I'm scratching out Brewers and putting Cardinals. That's it. I'm on record now, which is not good for the Cardinals because it never works out. But I'm we didn't talk record. about the Brewers though. We we should we should talk about them briefly. You know why the fall from grace for the Brewers? Why do why do you see that? Pitching starting rotation. You know they they are a uh, you know Craig Council is a very progressive manager. Uh, it's a new school philosophy. They get the starting pitchers out early. Uh, they use, uh, you know, different different uh, philosophies on how to manage a pitching staff. And that's kind of hurt them in the rotation category. And they, they still are trying to develop those young starters. You know, Brandon Woodruff, and 
Corbin Burns are two guys at the top of their rotation that have bounced back and forth between relief and starting. And, uh, you know, in my opinion, I think that's kind of hurt them in, in developing the, those horses, those starters that you need to get you through a long season and to eat up innings. And I think last year proved that point, that the starting, starting pitching was, was uh, more important than, than it's been given credit for or, or it's been diminished in, in recent years. That's well stated, David. I, I'd like to pick this up a little bit. Let's go to the, let's go to the West. Let's go start with the National League because I, I don't want to give this uh, National League West, I don't want to give this short due. This is a fascinating division because you look at the Dodgers who are now the, the, the World Series champions and the incredible team that they have. And right behind them, although behind them is, but in the same division to the Padres. And they are, they're a force to be reckoned with as well. So you look at those two teams and you say like, interest, this is really getting interesting now in the West, not to mention our old friends from Houston. Yes, I don't think you can count out Houston yet either. I mean, they still have some really good players there in Houston. They may be on the back end of a window, you know, that they've had for a few years now. But that window isn't all the way closed yet in Houston. But you are right. Maybe the, the number one story is the battle between the Padres and the Dodgers, battling each other off the field, the general managers, the ownership, uh, the signings, uh, the long-term deals, uh, the trades. Uh, I mean, they are in a free-for-all against each other. And it is exciting for baseball on the West Coast. And it's really going to be fun to watch those two teams go at each other over the next several years, much less just next year alone. But the Padres are, 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 are doing the best they can to keep up with a monster. The Dodgers are a monster right now. Uh, the way the organization is run, the resources they're pouring into it, the payroll they pour into it, the farm system they have. The Dodgers are right now, uh, you know, the strongest franchise in the game right now. They are, they are a monster and they're the defending champs. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We we and again, there's so many storylines here. I, I'm gonna say Houston got a pass last year because of the COVID situation. You know, and they they did. This is the year that Houston will will face the music from the fans, the media for what happened a couple of years ago. This is this is the year. I think that there'll be, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of attention on last year because of the COVID and everything that happened. It just wasn't there wasn't the attention paid. The attention paid will come this year, as far as the Astros concerned. Will that's a great question, a great point, Flip, because that was on my mind too. And I guess this is more to Flip and David. I guess is the venom still there though from the fans? That's what I'm really curious about. Comes back in a hurry, right, David? <laughs> yes, uh, it, it, without a doubt. There's some pent up frustration there by fans who have been waiting to give it to these guys. The, the, the problem from the Houston Astros standpoint is that they're, they're, the culprits are very high-profile guys. They're easily remembered, easily identified. Jose Altuve is going to get booed. Uh, uh, you know, Carlos Correa is going to get booed. You know, Yuli Gurriel is going to get booed. They're, they're very prominent faces, uh, very recognizable faces. And, yes, they're going to have to face the music this year. Uh, you know, people think, you know, as they said, they got a break by having no fans at the stands. Well, what they got is, was a reprieve for a while. Uh, it will come back. And, uh, you know, but how, you know whether, whether it has legs or not or how long it lasts it remains to be seen. But I get the feeling, Flip, that, you know, that with those players, this might follow them their whole career. Do, do players, you know, you played in, in front of crazy fans before do they hear the heckling when they're out there playing 
you can hear it definitely. You can hear it on the on deck circle. You can hear it when you're in close proximity to certain fans, uh, you know, that are seated close to the dugout. Um, you know, ironically, uh, you can hear them more when there's say 25% or 50% fans in the stands. You know, the best best thing for a ball player is when it's full. It's a dull roar when you have a full house. That's preferable to me. But when you have a half full house or, you know, there's going to be restrictions, you know, depending on state to state, how many fans are allowed in the game. 25% in the stands is a nightmare for ball players because you hear everybody <laughs> because of the sparsity of the crowds, just the way the sound travels. So, yes, you will hear even more at the, at the beginning of the season because of that. I don't want to uh get away from and it was my fault i sort of digressed into houston because i'm so fascinated by the story uh we, the dodgers and the padres it's it's uh i mean we we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about tatis jr i mean what a great talent he is we talked about the great talent the dodgers have we know you know you got bets you got bellinger you got seager and you know you've got just tremendous talent on that team but but tatis is another great young player and the padres signed him long term yeah, to me, that was a real shot across the bow, so to speak, by the Padres' uh, ownership. They did not have to sign Tatis Jr. right now. They could have easily waited another year or two or just to make sure, uh, you know, that he was healthy or whatnot. Uh, they could have hedged their risk a little bit, but they decided to send a message and say, you know what, this is our guy. We're going to sign him up now before we have to, and that's going to send a positive message to the entire organization, to the minor league system, and to the fan base. And, uh, you know, I applaud the Padres. In an era where ownerships are looking for ways to cut costs or looking for ways maybe just to have something sustainable as opposed to maybe going for it mentality in a year, really trying to win is, is, has been a knock. Uh, at least the perception is, is that some owners aren't really trying to win. Uh, the Padres are really trying to win right now. There's no doubt about it. And by signing Tatis Jr. to that contract, that sent a very strong message to the industry and to the Dodgers and to the San Diego Padres fan base. Yeah, I sort of jumped this by putting by putting Houston in, in the mix with the National League West. I didn't uh, obviously mean that they're part of the National League West. So anybody who thought that, uh, my apologies, I didn't mean that. Uh, I was just talking about teams in the West and Houston jumped into my head. So I want to be clear about that. Let's finish the, Let's finish this up a little bit with the uh, – with the rest of the uh, the American League West, let's talk about that a little bit. How, how, do you see, how do you see that playing out? You like the A's? You like the A's at the top? Well, yeah, the A's are you know they're they're going to be there again. You know they they've done it year in and year out. They have great defense. Chapman, you know, at third base, the best defensive third baseman in the American League. Uh, they have good young offense. They seem to swing the bat well and at home. They're tough to play at home in their home ballpark uh, because of the good defense. And because of kind of a lot of foul territory in Oakland in their home ballpark, they can get away with some pitchers that, that pitch to contact. So they can get creative with their rotation because they're great defense in the ballpark they play in. And they do that as well as anybody. They design their roster and their pitching staff exactly according to what they need. And they've done a great job of it the last several years. So I still see Oakland there. As I said before, I think Houston's window is closing, but they're still a contender. They're still to be contended with. And, Certainly the Mariners, Rangers, and Angels, you know, are, are still trying to figure it out. We, we really don't know where they are. You know, the Angels, uh, Otani is going to play a big role there. If he can pitch and hit, you know, we'll, we'll see what the Angels can bring to the table. But for me, it's really the, it's the A's and the Astros that, that are going to battle for that division once again. Okay, so we've, we've made it around, we've made it around uh, baseball. We've been through all the divisions, right? 
Uh, we, we, we pretty much said what, what we thought about who would possibly win the division or, you know, whether the teams would possibly be wild cards. We sort of put – we just did it in terms of who we thought would be in the playoffs, and that will sort itself out, right? At the yes. end of the day, this is a very tough question because teams have to stay healthy. I mean, we could, we could do – we could take that crystal ball. We could do this from now to doomsday. The reality is unless you have health and you get help from unexpected places, is oh, every team that wins always gets help from someplace they didn't expect they were going to get it from. It just always seems to work out like that. It's health and it's staying on the field, obviously, and it's, it's, it's getting help from places that you didn't expect you were going to get it. When all is said and done, taking all the caveats we just said into consideration, at the end of the day, who do you see, who do you see in the World Series, the two teams you see in the World Series? Oh, for me, the safe bet is the Yankees and the Dodgers. That, that, that's, my, that's my bet. That's, uh, you know, looking at it on paper. You look at it from rankings. You look at it from multiple different sources. From my own eye tests, from what I've seen, uh, it, it should be the Dodgers and the Yankees this year. Now, there's obviously other contenders that could easily upend that. But uh, if, if, you're, if you're asking me my choices right now, it's, you know, I pick the Dodgers and Yankees. Kev? Yeah, well, David, I don't have to say anything. Well, first of all, I wish I had Gray's Sports Almanac, right? Because then I would know the answer. Any reference? Come on. You know where I'm referring. No? Okay. <laughs> Back to the future. Of course. Um, Get the DeLorean. <laughs> DeLorean. Exactly. Yeah, I'm going Yankees-Dodgers. I went to school with DeLorean. Yeah, DeLorean. Did you know that? He was <laughs> wow. Abe Lincoln. Was my, yeah, I was Abe Lincoln. I was in his senior year. I was uh, Lincoln, and he was very honest, as I've always said. Um, hell of a car. Who do you got, Flo? <laughs> Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with David. I mean, I, I I think the Yankees get there. I think the Dodgers get there too, and I think that's that'd be that'd be a very interesting World Series because if the Yankees get there, they would have gotten there because they would have had all the question marks. That, well, they have some question marks. Those question marks would have become exclamation points. So if those question marks do become exclamation points, as we mentioned, the Yankees are definitely there. And the Yankees, I mean, I see it anyway, same as David. And that's going to be some battle for for uh, for uh, who wins the series. All right, I said we would go back to some Yankees conversation. Before we do, though, I don't want to stop whipping around the league a little bit because I want to talk about the Marlins. The Marlins made the postseason last year because of expanded playoffs. Reports are there will be no expanded playoffs this season. I want to know, both of you, where you stand on expanded playoffs in general. Coney? Well, you know, I, this is going to have to be, I think, moving forward. Now, the, the argument against expanded playoffs is obviously the watering down of the regular season. And I understand those are those are purist type arguments. Uh, you know, those are from people who liked the way it was years ago when it was just straight to the World Series. You had two pennants. You know, the, yeah, those were all those years Yogi Berra went to the World Series. It was right off the regular season. He'd go right to the World Series. You know, uh, even when I played, there was only one round. There was a league championship series and then to the World Series. So. The extra rounds of playoffs do dilute the regular season. I agree. But for me, for the Players Association, in order to them to, to get where they want to go in terms of rights in the next collective bargaining agreement, they're going to have to concede on this issue because that's a moneymaker for the owners. It's a business decision from the owner standpoint for the extra television revenue. I think that's a concession that the players are going to have to make. But I, I believe the players should get something significant in return. And, and we'll see how that plays out. But yes. I see expanded playoffs probably going to be a necessity in the future uh, with all the arguments against, you know, from the purist. I get it, but business is business. And I think in order to make a deal moving forward, the players will concede and allow the owners to have extra playoffs, have an extra round of playoffs. When you said that they'll have to get something major in return, David, 
are you are you talking about say lessening free agency for maybe six years to five or do you see maybe the arbitration process being uh, i know the players wouldn't want that but maybe the owners say we'll we'll eliminate arbitration and and we'll give you this we'll swap off service time for free agency and there's a lot of things that could happen in this next cba isn't there i agree completely you know and going back to my days as, as the american league rep uh, I was there for 10 years. I was there during the strike in 94. And for me and for the players and the conversations I've had with Mar the late, great Marvin Miller, for the players, players, it's a freedom issue. These are about rights. You know, you're not, the players aren't arguing for more money. I need to be paid more money. What they should argue for is more rights. And freedom issues mean, you know, uh, contractual control, the manipulation of service time on the bottom end with players that are ready for the major leagues to get held back. Uh, arbitration may be sooner rather than super twos. If you remember, Fernando Valenzuela went to arbitration after two years. It used to be just two years in the big leagues you could go to arbitration. Fernando Valenzuela had two great years and ended up making a million dollars in arbitration after two years in the big leagues. I thought that was fair because he was that good. Uh, you know, something like that, Flip. Go back to two years for arbitration. Try to get free agency sooner, whether it's five years or four years. Trade a couple of the arbitration years you know, for free agency years. For the players, it's freedom issues. They've got to figure out a way to get more freedom to their younger players because the, the surplus value that the owners are enjoying from some of the young talent and the service manipulation has kind of skewed it in, in, toward, in favor of the owners, in my opinion. So the players need to find a way to claw that back somehow, some way. Baseball is the only sport without a salary cap. That's going to be an issue here. You see a salary cap? That's always been a hot button issue for the Players Association. I don't see that changing. Um, there's ways around it. The luxury tax itself right now almost works like a de facto salary cap. So you can say they don't have a salary cap, but they have a mechanism in place in terms of the, of the luxury tax and how, how the teams get penalized by that luxury tax and the way the teams are reacting to the luxury tax. And all the teams stay, trying to stay under, at least get under that luxury tax threshold at least one time to reset it, tells me that it, it, it is restrictive. It is almost like a salary cap the way it is right now. So, you know, salary caps are always going to be difficult because it's, you know, a salary cap is going to rely on the owner's books. And the, the Players Association is always going to say, we don't trust your numbers. We don't trust your books. Show us the books. And the owners... Uh, you know, they, they get to keep the books. They get to uh, do whatever they want with the books before you split up the revenue. So that's always going to be an issue with a long history, of, a contentious history between both sides. Do they trust each other enough to go in, which is what a salary cap is, that's going into business together based on the owner's books. We're going to be 50-50 partners. We'll give you 50% of revenue based on our books. And that's always going to be a tough issue to overcome for the Players Association to say, well, wait, wait a minute, we – we don't trust your books. You know, uh, we don't want to be in that position. Uh, you know, we want to be in a position to, to go to negotiate when we're free agents sooner. You know, we just want to be free at some point in our career, everything else, negotiate the minimum wage, negotiate pension, negotiate all the ancillary issues. And beyond that, just let us be free at some point in our career and, and make it be, make it be sooner. And that's always been the players, players association stance. Uh, and we'll see. Uh, you know, the owners can ask for a salary cap, 
we'll see what happens this time around. But, you know, it's always been a tough issue for the Players Association. Understanding that it has always been that tough issue, but also understanding now with with the world as it is, with post-COVID, I mean, this is going to be, you know, the what this, I mean, there's this case for the owners too, you know, in that, in that no one, I mean, they're going to have to try to make this a strong business again, and that's going to take time and it's going to need cooperation. So as much as I, I mean, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm trying to be sub, uh, objective here uh, and say, I mean, I understand the players. I totally understand the players viewpoint. I also get the, the management viewpoint. I get the owners viewpoint on this too, because of the situation they're in financially i mean i mean i know i have an idea of how much money was lost of uh, the world in it every business in it the baseball is no different it but but baseball really really got took up took it on the chin and so i mean there's going to have to be some everybody's going to have to work with each other david i mean it's going to have to be both both sides really really working together for the greater good of for the game whether it's i understand the player's viewpoint i understand the management the owner's viewpoint as well but everybody's going to have to work together because you know this is something where you can't have a, a perception where this is everybody's arguing about about money and 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 our and our fan base is looking at it and saying like wait a minute guys look at what happened to us you know, I mean, what you guys have got, you know, it, it, the optic has to be, has to be a strong optic that everybody's working together for the good of the game. That's just my two cents. Understood. And valid points all the way around. And yes, there is the case to be made for the owners and the plight of, of a major league baseball owner. And they, you know, everything that they have to go through, everything they have to, to, to deal with the extra cost, uh, the minor league cost, you know, as they revamp their minor leagues and catch a lot of heat for that as well. There's a lot of changes going on. You know, the structure of the systems all from top to bottom, without a doubt. Uh, so, yes, we, we are in changing times and changing times call for really creative people to get together and come up with creative ideas on how to solve these problems. And uh, for the players, you know, obviously it's a it's a mobility issue. It's a freedom issue. It's about getting to the big leagues when you deserve to get to the big leagues and not getting held back. It's about uh, not having to wait three or four years before your salary is anywhere near fair. Uh, you know, we we saw we see rookies and first and second year players that have almost MVP type years and get a fifty thousand dollar raise the next year because they can because the owners control their contract and they don't have to pay them yet and they know that the players are going to make it on the back end when they do go to arbitration. So the, a sense of fairness from the start. You know, how do you how do you who's who's got the creative idea to figure that out? You know, uh, you know how much has Aaron Judge been worth to the Yankees? You know, how much surplus value has there been there for the Yankees before they had to pay him an arbitration salary, which is which, which were, is something that got him close to, to, to value, to what his value is worth. So I agree, Flip. You know, there's two sides to the argument. We need some really smart people to come up with some outside-the-box type ideas to, to, to address both of these issues. Back to the Yankees, as promised. Uh, last week, David, we talked a lot about roster construction. Um, particularly around the bench, because really that's the only question mark you have as a Yankees fan. So let's assume, obviously, Higashioka. There's four spots. One's going to Higashioka. One, probably Tyler Wade due to his versatility. Three, Brett Gardner, you would think. And then that fourth spot, there's about five really major league quality players who can take it. Who do you think earns that fourth spot? It's really interesting. Uh, to me, the fact that, you know, one under, underrated thing happened in yesterday's exhibition game. Gio Urshela played shortstop. 
kind of interesting to, 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 you know, that's maybe a clue into what they're thinking because what gives uh, Tyler Wade an advantage is he's the only one in the group that can't play shortstop. And you got to have a backup shortstop on your team. Gleyber Torres is not going to play 162 games at shortstop. You've got to have somebody that can play shortstop. And uh, if it's not going to be Tyler Wade and it's going to be Gio Rochella, then that certainly opens up the door for a Jay Bruce, who I think is the guy that really intrigues them because of his, his home run power, the left-handed bat, uh, his, his veteran presence, his ability to, to, to give them pop off the bat, off the bench. Uh, you know, he's the guy I think that intrigues them the most uh, right now. So, you know, if they decide to not carry Tyler Wade, then that opens up a spot for somebody like a Jay Bruce, uh, you know, and that, that's really what this comes down to. Uh, you know, certainly Talkman at the end has defense on his side. You know, Jay Bruce is all about his bat. You know, his, his career pedigree is built around his bat, not his defense. The same with Dietrich. Dietrich's okay defensively, but he, it's about his, his bat and his power as well. So, you know, do you go, do you put more weight on defense? If you put more weight on defense, then it's Wade and Talkman. If you feel like you need some more power and some more pop, then, then Jay Bruce slides in there for one of those two guys. And I believe, I could be wrong, I believe Talkman's out of options. So if you don't take him, he's essentially, he's gone. Yeah, no, no, that's but that's part of it. I mean, you would you you probably see a trade a lot of times uh, as you get down in the last week of spring training. It's a hot time for trades as teams make their roster decisions. You know, I can guarantee you that uh, Brian Cashman's phone will be ringing off the hook, and he will be, you know, looking at every option as to uh, you know once they make that final decision on how they uh, how they move some of these players without losing them for nothing. Tony, this has been fascinating. Thank you for spending the time with us uh, uh, to preview the, the season. Um, I couldn't, I can't think of a better guest. So again, thank you for your time and I look forward to uh, our season at Yes Together. And uh, thank you for, uh, for spending the time with us. Thank you, Brian. My Thanks. pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks, Flip. David. Always a pleasure. No surprise, Flip. Coney was absolutely amazing. Um, I really liked what he had to say about the Astros, believe it or not, how that venom is still there and that it's almost harder to play in front of a stadium with fewer people because you start to listen. That's when you really hear people yeah. heckling you. Right. It's true. It's true. It's, it, it really is. But the reality is that I, I think there's so, there's so much frustration. It's still such a hot button. And I think they got away with it last year because of a situation uh, with no fans. So I think this year they will they'll hear about it. And I think it will, listen, I don't think it, it's, a, it's a dominant storyline of the game, but I do think it is a storyline in the game. And I think, uh, I, I, I was put it this way, when you comes to play the Yankees in New York, I think that's going to be a musty series. I just do. For, for for that reason alone. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. So yeah. Maybe one of the the, the best, uh, the one of the most uh, anticipated series, I think, of the season. So uh, that's going to be very interesting for sure. Uh, you see, the obviously, we, we all see the Yankees in the thick of this thing, which is, you know, which is good for our fan base. And uh, and the Dodgers, obviously, were forced to be reckoned with. I mean, we've covered a lot of ground here. And uh, we, we previewed in depth uh, we, as much as we could the uh, all the races, and I think we got a lot covered. I, so I'm, I, I think this is the most productive show, and, uh, uh, and I hope the fans feel the same way. Thank you for listening to us or watching us, and, and I will say to you this, um, rate, review, and subscribe if you appreciate it. We appreciate your appreciation. That's the best way to show it. So anything you do in that direction, we, we, we are obviously grateful for. And, uh, Kevin, I think in the words of Ashley Vigazi, it's time to land the plane, don't you? Land the plane. 
Okay, it's time to land a plane. So the words of great Ashley Fugazi, once again, it is time to land a plane. Thank you all for being part of Curtain Call. We'll see you very soon. Thank you again.